Hey, Playmakers, real quick before we get into today's episode, if you're one of those listeners that just cannot wait for that next episode to drop, and if you're over on YouTube and my website binging my content there, I just wanted to say thank you. It means the world to me. But just remember, the free stuff will only get you so far. So if you want my complete proven blueprint for opening a successful and sustainable play cafe or indoor playground business that is profitable from day one, I want to invite you to join me inside my signature course, Play Cafe Academy. Head to the show notes right now to get instant on-demand access to all 12 modules, your detailed pre-launch checklist, your 34-page business plan template, your plug-and-play financial model to help you estimate your startup costs and project your revenue, and everything you need to save time, money, and frustration throughout your entire opening process. For a limited time right now, you'll also get an entire month of free access to Playmaker Society, my invite-only membership created exclusively for Play Cafe Academy students who want to work with me personally to optimize and scale their businesses through coaching, guest experts, legal and operations templates, and plug-and-play resources, plus collaboration with over 220 other owners, plus so much more. Head to the show notes and choose your preferred way to pay in full or over time right now. You'll get more information on the current bonuses. You'll see some success stories of those who have gone before you and exactly what to expect when you join us inside the program. I will see you there. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. Hey, Playmakers, welcome back and happy Wednesday. So this is a long-anticipated interview, for me at least, because in this episode, I'm speaking with Lindsay, the owner of Spirited Play Labs over in California. And of course, I've linked Lindsay's business in the show notes if you want to check it out. Now, Lindsay's been a Playmaker Society member for years at this point, so I have had the absolute blessing of watching her business grow and her dreams come to fruition in real time. So first, thank you so much for that gift, Lindsay. And you're going to hear in this conversation just why this particular interview is so close to my heart for a variety of reasons. But basically, the way this came about is a few weeks ago, Lindsay made a post inside of Playmaker Society that created quite a bit of buzz amongst the members. I think we're almost at 300 members now. And of course, her post caught my attention right away because Lindsay started it off with, I have found the secret to getting more recurring revenue. And she was referring to growing her membership business specifically. And if you have listened to this podcast for any length of time, you will know just why I place so much of an emphasis on recurring revenue. But if you haven't been convinced yet, don't worry. We're going to talk more about that today and just what this increased recurring revenue has done for Lindsay personally and business-wise. But back to Lindsay's post. So she shared 
how she was able to gain over 250 brand new members in just a few weeks' time. And we're going to talk about Lindsay's exact offer and her pricing, but when you do the math with her membership pricing, that equates to an extra $30,000 per month, every single month in recurring revenue. A deposit that Lindsay can count on, again, say it with me, every single month. And while the whole idea of such a quick change is a little misleading, since Lindsay did have to go through a long process behind the scenes that required a lot of tenacity and dedication from her, which you will hear all about, but when she did complete this process, the 250 new members joined her community, like she's going to mention, almost immediately. So just to sum it up, because spoiler alert, I was so excited to speak to Lindsay that we literally jumped right into the strategy and I didn't do a great job as an interviewer of asking Lindsay to share an overall synopsis. So again, to sum it up, Lindsay found a way to partner with state-funded agencies to pay her directly to serve the families that they work with. And in Lindsay's case, this meant children facing a huge variety of disabilities. So this agency literally pays her one lump sum every single month for these 250 members, and her membership pricing ranges from $119 to just about $300 each. And again, she's going to break all of that down for us, but I wanted to kind of summarize it so I didn't bury the lead too much. And what I love about this strategy that Lindsay tapped into is it didn't require her to change her business model. She didn't need to make any big new investment or changes. She's now able to enjoy that additional life-changing revenue, doing exactly what she's always done the way she's always done it, and serving her community in the way she always imagined, which to me is what it's all about. And another spoiler, Lindsay was also able to maintain all of her private play members as well. She has over 120 members who have children that do not have disabilities, and she's still able to accommodate them. And in fact, she shares how the experience of increasing her space's diversity has had some really beautiful and unexpected benefits and has given her so much joy in running her business. So even if you're someone who is feeling all of the objections and, dare I say it, excuses running through your head right now, so maybe you're thinking, I have too small of a space because, one more spoiler, Lindsay has only just over 3,000 square feet and now successfully serves close to 400 members. So again, if you have too small of a space, I still want you to tune in. If you're thinking, oh, I live in too small of a town, I live in a non-affluent area, and my customers can't afford $1 to $300 per month, or maybe you're thinking, I have a space that doesn't specifically accommodate children with disabilities because, again, one more spoiler, that's actually a benefit, which we're going to dig into, or maybe finally you're thinking, I don't have any background in catering to children with disabilities. If any of these objections or, again, excuses are running through your head, I'm asking you to please set them aside and give this idea a chance. Because again, this has been life-changing for Lindsay, not just in terms of revenue and business growth, because as you'll soon hear, she's already working on more locations, 
but also in how she's able to impact her community and the families that she cares about in a hugely positive way. She's going to share what inspired her to begin this process, what the process looked like exactly and how long it took, what strategies she used to make it happen, some obstacles that she had to overcome along the way and how she did it, what her plans are to expand, and so much more. And if you're in Playmaker Society, Lindsay has been kind and generous enough to offer to answer all of your questions. So please feel free to comment on Lindsay's post. I'm sure you've already seen it if you're in the group and engage with her further so that you can find the same success and make the same impact on your community with your business. All right, without further ado, let's hear from Lindsay, the owner of Spirited Play Labs. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I am so excited. So before we dive into this topic, which I can't wait to talk about, do you want to really quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business? Yeah, I'm Lindsay Teitelbaum. I'm the owner of Spirited Play Labs. We are an inclusive multi-sensory play space. We are membership only, and we're located in the San Francisco Bay Area, currently San Ramon and a second location in Berkeley is happening next year. Um, And we serve children 18 months up to eight years old with and without disabilities. Awesome. I Well, congratulations on your upcoming second location. It's been such a blessing to watch your journey from behind the scenes. It's been so great to watch you grow. So I'm very happy for all of your success. Thank you. you. I'm really happy to be part of your group. I feel like um, I I could not have done this alone. I like recreate, I created like a whole thing, but because of all of your support, I was able to like not have to recreate the wheel on everything (laughs) because this model is unique, but there were so many pieces that I was able to rely on you guys, which was like life-saving. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm so happy that you're, that you're loving it. And we are so lucky to have you. So today we are going to talk about something that again, I'm really excited about. We are going to talk about creating a membership program for people with disabilities and allowing that to be funded. Now, I'm going to let you dive into it because this is not something that I actually have experience with. So I'm so grateful that you were willing to come on the show and talk about this with us. I -hmm. have experience with this from the parent side. So my son receives receives disability services, and this isn't something that any of the play spaces by me have tapped into yet. So I am all ears regarding this as a parent. But I'm really excited for you to share this for business owners as well, because you've been able to create some really amazing revenue and impact in your community with this opportunity. So just getting started, can you share a little bit about your experience with this topic in general? Just tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about what it is, because again, I don't even know how to phrase it. It's something that I'm going to turn the, uh, turn the wheel right over to you. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So, um, by before opening this space, I was a speech therapist in the public schools. So, and I also had previously done medical insurance speech therapy. So I was aware of both of those um, models of getting things covered. So if your child goes to speech therapy, occupational therapy, you either do it through the school district or through medical services. So when I opened a play space, I knew that I couldn't fall into either of those categories. I wasn't interested in that. And in the state of California, there is an organization called regional center and that is a county per per county organization that covers services from birth to to death essentially for children with disabilities Um, and depending on the age of your child 
there are different services that you can get. And so what regional centers do, or potentially if they're not called regional centers, state funded organizations do, is they are covering what the school district won't cover and what medical insurance doesn't cover. So it's kind of a weird third um, space for families to receive services for their child that has a disability. Um, and for me, it was right place, right time, because the state of California reintroduced um, a category called um, social recreation. So what that means is that if your child has a disability and they're over the age of three, they want to pay for your child to be out in the community with their peers, with other kids in the community. So sometimes that's swimming classes or that's gymnastics or music or dance or uh, any number of things. And I was able to get the play space membership covered that way. And so there's some other streams I'm looking into where in a, a play space, I, we're not therapy, but we're also, and we're not a school. So we're somewhere in the middle, this kind of recreational space. So I'm looking into other streams um, that I can talk about where the state or the county will pay for children with disabilities to attend. Awesome. So just to give everybody a little bit of an idea before we kind of get into the how, I want to talk a little mm -hmm. bit about what this looks like. So you're actually able to work with these agencies directly and not have the parents have to, because right now as a parent, just to give you a little background for everyone listening, yeah. when I sign my child up for something like that, a lot of times I'll have to pay upfront and then submit receipts. And sometimes we get a letter back saying it won't be covered. And it's a lot of hoop jumping. It's a very frustrating process. And again, we've been denied several times, even if something I feel meets the criteria. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in terms of how you actually bill the agency, what gets covered, what the parent has to do, things like that? With the regional center, I bill the family. I, I take on families and then I bill regional center directly. And in the middle of the month, they give me a lump sum of whoever, however many clients I'm serving from that organization. So, um, Families don't have to pay me anything. That's awesome. So these families that are, you know, able to join your membership through the center, were these families already working with the center or were these families that you kind of had to find and reach out to other ways? Were the families already working with the center? Yes. So some come to me as private pay and they're in the process of getting into the organization, into the regional center. So they start private and then switch. And then I have a lot of other families that are once I got approved as a vendor, they notified, most people got notified, hey, there's this new vendor. So the regional center sent families my way, which was also like free advertising. Like I, they contacted, they all have case managers and those case managers reached out to their clients and said, hey, there's this new person that's covered um, through the regional center. Um, and so that was the bulk of how I got those families. Awesome. So what was your main motivation for kind of doing mm. what made you reach out to this organization and say, Hey, you know, I would like to become an approved vendor. Yeah. Part of it was accessibility. I, you know, I'm also a parent and like raising children, especially if your child has special needs is crazy expensive. The amount of therapies and things you're doing is really expensive. And I knew that the service I was providing was impactful, but maybe not essential because you're doing all these therapies. So my hope was that I could open the doors to more ways for families to access us where it wasn't just private pay because I was private pay for the first year and we did really well. And we had 
multiple tiers where you could pay depending on kind of how often you were visiting. And um, we were making money. It was doing fine. But I just felt like um, making it available in this way really opened the doors to what's great about regional center is it's not um, income dependent. So regional center, the most wealthy and the most poor and everyone in between is accessing regional center. Um, so it's a, just a really nice community support that allows me to serve a very wide variety of people. Awesome. And just to clarify, the regional center is state funded. Yes. 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 Okay. Awesome. So I love that you were able to access a much wider range of customers. So you don't have to get too much into detail, but can you talk a little bit about what this has done for your membership numbers? So maybe an idea of where you were previously and where you are now, because I think that's really important to kind of set the stage before we get into the how, because we were chatting a little bit offline about what a long process it was and how many hoops you have to jump through. But I would love to start with the benefit so that people's ears perk up so we can have that conversation. Before Regional Center kicked in, I want to say we had about 150 or so, and that was fine. And it was like moving along. And then Regional Center came in and I immediately got another 250. So we're now at what, 350, something like that. It's it's really the reason why I'm also expanding so quickly to a second location. Um, it is a steady stream of people who want and need what we're providing. And the way I set up the payment process with Regional Center, with the membership, it, it um, the numbers work really well where families only have to visit me once a month and I'm able to make the same amount versus they come every day, I make the same amount. So most of those people are traveling from far places, sometimes up to an hour away. Um, and so if they come once a month, I still make the same amount um, through the regional center. And so that allows me to serve more people versus just being kind of hyper-local and just having people who are there you know, every day. Yeah, that's awesome because typically member-only spaces will generally serve people within you know, a five to 10 mile radius because to justify the cost, people are having to come multiple times per right. month. So I love that this model allows you to have a greater number of members, obviously a larger revenue, but you're not overcrowding your space and you're not yes. detracting from people's experience because they're not having to, again, justify that cost by coming multiple times a week. So just out of right. curiosity, can you remind me what the square footage of your space is? I have 3,200 square feet um, and I, I'm, I'm zoned funny, so I can only have 30 people in the building at a time. So I do pre-registration, families sign up in advance for open play, and then I cap it at 30 people in the building. Um, and so with 350 member families where we are hitting moments where we are full during certain play times, um, which is why I'm so eager to get more locations kind of all over because I have people coming from so far. Um, and then, um, I want them to have space to come play. That's really inspiring though, because a lot of people, you know, due to, the real estate market and things like that, a lot of people have smaller spaces. And a lot of times they hear, you know, three, 400 members and they think, oh, I could never do that. Yes, I have a so smaller true. space because I can only have 30 people in the building. So I think this is an amazing opportunity, even for people with smaller spaces to really, like you said, expand the number of people that they're able to serve, not just total, but you know, as a, as a business. So I think that's really, um, really eye-opening. 
because, you know, our second location mm -hmm. had about the same square footage and we could barely accommodate 150 members because again, people were coming multiple times per week. They were staying longer. Um, so to hear that you're able to serve, you know, 350 yes. plus members at that size location is yeah. really inspiring. Thank you. I, it's such a balancing act because there's moments where I, I hit, it's like, this is too many people. I shouldn't be serving this many people in this size of a building. Um, which is why I'm go moving forward with expanding, but also it, it rarely feels like that. Um, it somehow is flowing nicely because there's no drop in. And so, um, and actually my hours I'm closed on Sundays, which people are mad about, but, um, because you know people are coming from far reaches but um the hours that I have it seems to work so far well I'm sure you know I something that I've loved about watching your journey is that you're always pivoting you're always trying new things so it's going to be cool to see how so tired how adding locations <laughs> adds to that journey so I'm excited to see how thank that looks thank you yeah so now that we know the benefit, right? Because that's the big thing that everybody mm -hmm. wants to know, you know, how much more are you able to make per month by adding something like this? So now that we know the benefit and hopefully everyone's a little bit excited, can you talk a little bit more about the background work that you had to do those mm -hmm. foundational steps that allowed you to even access this opportunity? Yeah, I would say very, very first thing is setting up a physically and culturally inclusive space you know, um, training my staff, making sure the space actually is what I say it is. That's like step zero. Um, and then the way it worked for me was I started with the people who were already coming in the building who were regional center clients. And I had them go to their case managers because I was trying to go from the top down to these large systems. And they kind of ignored me for a while. And they were like, that sounds nice. I can't help you. So I went essentially grassroots started from the bottom. And I said, Oh, you're a regional center client. Will you go talk to your case manager, tell them about us. And enough people did that, that it made regional center annoyed in a positive way. They were like, everybody is talking about you. We, so I actually, because of that, I got a meeting with the entire executive board of my local regional center. Um, <clears throat> so I was able to kind of make my case because I was a, they normally don't cover things that are, um, like a monthly membership, like this is just, this is not a typical model that they will cover. So I started there where I just reached the people who are already with me. And then um, I got contacts for kind of the next level of who the case managers are or the supervisor. Because if you start from the top, I feel like you just get um, a response like, because you're, you're anonymous, they don't know who you are. So once I had that meeting with the executive board and I started to know individual people within that organization, like they bought into Spirited Play Labs, they learned about who I was. Um, and so when I applied, they were like, oh, they were familiar with me. It still took a full year for them to approve my, um, my application, but I was one of the first people to get approved through this, um, this category. That's awesome. So can you talk a little bit about what that year entailed? So did you have to provide like descriptions of what you were going to be offering? Was there a lot of paperwork? Like, can you talk about what made it take a year? Yeah. Because I'm curious. The packet was pretty extensive about 
um, just all of their laws and rules to make sure that you are an approved vendor. Um, I think the main thing that they wanted to be sure of, which I think is really why play spaces are like ideal for this category is they wanted to be sure the space was inclusive of neurotypical non, non regional center clients. That's something that we have a monopoly on that like many other people don't. Cause when you go to look at special needs services, it's mostly other special needs kids and then it becomes more isolated. So having a play space, I was able to, um, I had to write up a program design and I was able to show them very quickly, like I have private paying families that are local to the community that have children that do not have disabilities or that are not part of your organization. And that really um, made it a, a really strong selling point to this organization. Um, otherwise during that year, it was a lot of, I, I think it took me a few weeks to complete their packet, their program design. And then I just like every couple of weeks email them, hey, what's the update? Hey, what's the, like for a year? I just kept like being the um, squeaky wheel. Um, and so as like nothing was happening, I was still reaching out every couple of weeks um, until until it happened. And then it happened so quickly <laughs> that um, I was like, what was all that waiting for? But of course, that's how you have to deal with these large systems. That's awesome. So that's actually, I feel like that's a misconception I had. I felt like in order to get approved, you would have to be somebody that was specifically designed for individuals with disabilities or individuals with special needs. So it's actually really uh, well here that. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, me being a speech therapist, yes, I think that's a, that was a big selling point. The other thing was I did a training, I do a training with my staff called floor time, which is specific for autistic kids. So I did, I was able to show that there was a therapeutic value to the space. Um, I would say if, if a play space owner doesn't have that, they can just hire someone for a short period to consult and kind of say like, see, I, I consulted with speech or with occupational therapy or special education teachers, or like you can show that you've tapped into the therapeutic community but for me, I feel like they're more interested right now on making sure that these kids are out in the community. So if you're saying, hey, I'm here to support these kids, um, I have an inclusive space. I feel like my my experience with them was they were really excited about that piece. That's awesome. So anyone listening, you don't have to just serve the neurodivergent or disability community. You can absolutely access this if you have a mix of clients, which I think is really interesting because a lot of the services that my son utilizes right now, they are specifically for children with disabilities. So I'll have to look more into what's available for him because I would love for him to get more out in the community. So I love to see that these centers are really supportive of that and are really excited about that um, because it, it just shows you that they have, mm -hmm. you know, the right intentions with this and they really want to you know, serve these kids. So that's yeah. really good to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've so, been talking. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I know you mentioned that, you know, waiting was a really hard component of this, but was there any other like specific challenge or did you have to go back to the drawing board at any time or did they have any feedback that you had to correct or anything like that? I think the thing that was the hardest was I came in with a model that didn't match anything they were familiar with. Like they were, they said quite literally that like, 
my model of this once a month price that I would get didn't fit into their coding, their billing system. So part of me was wanting to change it to match what they were looking for. But part of me really believed in what I was doing. So I chose to stick with what we were doing and gave them the time to figure it out. I don't know if that's going to be successful. Part of me want, like, is like, how did this happen? Because I feel like if they come to you and say, hey, we need you to, to be, you know, charging per visit, or we need you to, to only do, we'll only cover it if you have a therapist on site or whatever, you kind of have to say yes to whatever they say to get covered through them. But in this instance, I could tell that they really liked my model. They just didn't know yet how it made sense in their like billing system. So I just kept like saying, well, I'll meet with you. I'll explain it to you. Let's figure it out. Um, so I kind of stuck to my guns on it. And so it ended up working out. And now I've helped other people in my area get their memberships covered um, in a similar format. But I was the first one that like did it and made it work with them. Um, otherwise, yeah, you kind of have to adapt to what they want you to be. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's good to hear that, you know, even if you hear a no or you get, you know, a maybe, but it's good to hear that you stood your ground. And it's interesting because the, I did a little research when I was getting ready for this and mm -hmm. for our area, they mostly cover memberships. So they cover zoo memberships, mm -hmm. science museum memberships. It's actually much more difficult to get like individual classes or individual visits covered. So I think every area is probably going to be different, but the takeaway here, I think is if you are really proud of mm. what you're doing, if you believe in it, if you know it's a model that's going to work, I love that you were able to kind of stand firm in that because now you're able to rely on that consistent revenue every yeah. single month, which, I mean, I know I talk about it to death on this podcast, but it really is an absolute game changer because- Absolutely. If you were just having to hope that people would come in, you know, every single day and, you know, then get that reimbursed, it's so much more fickle. It's, you're not able to have, you know, as big of an impact on these kids because now these kids are coming month after month. They're getting to know your space. They're getting to know other people. They're getting more comfortable. And as they're getting more comfortable, mm -hmm. they're probably, you know, expanding their skills and utilizing different pieces of equipment. So yes, exactly. I love that you stood firm in that because not only is it probably absolutely game-changing as a business owner, I think it mm -hmm. impacts the kids in a more profound way. And yeah, way. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I also live in an area that like the weather's pretty nice throughout the year. Kids are outside a lot. Um, I just knew that the drop-in model wasn't financially going to work, but also couldn't maintain the culture that I wanted to set up in the space. Um, because like when I have my neurotypical kids coming in, like for a while, sometimes some of, so I charge $35 for a first time visit. Cause I want them to really understand like, this is not just a pretty space. Please don't utilize that. Utilize us for just like a cool indoor play space. Um, <clears throat> and so people come in and they try it out and, and I, by committing to a membership, I feel like they, they are not only agreeing to our agreements about how to use the space, how to support others but they get the larger mission instead of just kind of like coming and going as they please and using it for whatever purpose they have, they have to understand there's a larger mission. And so there's that commitment piece. And um, I think I saw one of, I, before regional center came in, 
it was a good community. I felt like the people coming in were nice and it was inclusive, but there was something about the regional center families coming in that really fully created like a self-sustaining community where doesn't matter who's in the building, there's a sense of support, there's a sense of connection, there's like a safety. I, like I, I keep thinking about, because the regional center kids, I mean, there'll be autistic kids who you might not even know that they're autistic when they come in the door. There are kids with global developmental delays, kids in wheelchairs. It's a really wide spectrum of who is covered under something like the regional center. And so I'm not serving sort of like these really, not always really complex disabled kids. Not some are, but not all are. And so those families coming through, there was also so much gratitude and appreciation for the work that we put in on the back end for them to be with us. So a lot of them are our biggest cheerleaders in the community. They're telling everybody about us because, you know, they're not paying for it and we're creating a welcoming space. So, I mean, me personally, I almost never go in to my location anymore. I go once a day for a little bit, check in with my manager, but like the community has shown up through private pay and regional center in a way that it just exists. It's just like self-sustaining. It's doing its own thing. And I don't have to be in there creating an inclusive environment. It's already happening. That's amazing. I love that. And it's funny because oh, yeah. one of the objections that I keep hearing from people who you know, want the benefit, but they're a little bit nervous is one of the objections I hear is, well, if people aren't paying for something, they're not going to respect it. They're not going to value it. So I'm so glad that that hasn't been your experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say private pay come more often. So like private pay, the quantity is more often, but regional center, there's more of a, like a joyful, gracious, appreciate, like because private pay, it's like, yeah, I'm paying you. So you give me a service. But regional center, they're just like, thank you so much. You know, they, they really like, I, yeah, people all the time are like coming and thanking me, which feels a little weird. But um, I recognize that all the work I put in was absolutely worth it for that. Absolutely. So just really quickly before we move on, what is the cost of your monthly membership? Yeah, so um I do it per family, not per child, because in my area, people have like one or two kids usually. It's $119 a month for unlimited open play currently. Um, and that's what regional center also pays me. So pri private pay, I get 119 and regional center also pays me 119, same rate. Okay. It just helps for context because everyone's memberships look a little bit different. I know you mentioned that oh, you, used to be, you used to charge different levels depending on how often people would come. So I just wanted to have that price point and membership offer for just a little bit of context so people understand yeah. what kind of you're working with. So I know you mentioned that the regional center will promote your offer to their members and their clients. Do you ever talk publicly about partnering with your regional center? Mm -hmm. For example, on social media, do you say, hey, if you work with regional center, your membership yeah. will be covered? You do talk about it. Yeah, I do. Um, I feel like I do it, excuse me, I do it just as a, like, hey, by the way, and it's on the website and stuff. But usually if you're a region, well, because sometimes people will have really bad case managers that like don't notify them of all their possible services. So sometimes they do come to us like, oh, hey, you're covered. That's cool. But otherwise it's sort of just like informational on the website and on social media. 
And it did, people do really appreciate once I said, Hey, we're covered. People got really excited and appreciated it, but it's not like a, um, it's sort of, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah. I was just curious if, because I know some agencies won't want you to talk about it. Right. Right. Some restrictions. So honestly, I was just curious if it's something uh, that uh-huh, you're uh-huh. able to talk about and promote because that's uh, because yeah, again, I didn't... as a parent, I am always surprised by what's covered and I feel like I don't get a lot of education about it. So I, I appreciate yes. when I businesses talking about it because there are some businesses that are covered that we have access to that I would have never guessed. Yeah, I know that that's a real unfortunate piece too. A lot of these systems like, like this regional center doesn't really keep track of the newest things. So sometimes it has to, you have to kind of randomly encounter it, which is a real disappointing feature of the system. Um, they don't have like an updated list, but I still get, we still get inquiries all the time from case managers of like, oh, I just heard about this. So I actually had recently, I don't know, 15 of the case managers asked to come visit the space so that they could know what we were doing and why were they referring so many of their clients? So we had them all like come to a tour. That's awesome. So I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, right now your memberships are covered. And I know you mentioned that there is the opportunity for maybe getting other services covered. Can you give an example? Would that be like a class, a birthday party? Yeah. So um, I did a second tier membership that's more therapeutic, where twice a month you're getting one-on-one floor time services in the play space. And so I, that membership, I charge $2.95 per child. So you get unlimited open play. And then in addition, you get these, tw- these twice a month appointments and regional center approved that so quickly. <laughs> um, so once you're in with these organizations and you have kind of a face to them, you can bring up all new things like my summer camps that currently they're not, I, I'm not covered through regional center for summer camps, but because they know me, they're now reimbursing all of their clients for anyone that comes to our summer camps. So like, it's like once you're in, you can kind of ask them, hey, are there any services that your organization needs that I can provide? And then you can either get funded through them or you can not and somehow still get reimbursed. The, the families can still get reimbursed for those services. Well, that's awesome. I mean, as a parent who exclusively gets reimbursed, I still can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Yes. Like you said, you know, I was nodding along when you said earlier in the interview how expensive it is you know, to raise mm-hmm. disabilities, not just the therapies, but, you know, uh, the toys that we have to purchase for our house, you know, we, he yep. has a weighted vest that was $200. He has, yep. you know, a chewable necklace that we have to replace every month. It It is mm-hmm. a lot, especially, you know, as they grow up, you know, there's always a changing set of needs. So any way, any service that's able to take a yep. little bit of that financial burden off is so incredibly helpful. So again, even though I typically get reimbursed, I can't tell you how grateful I am. So I can definitely relate to your client's sense of gratitude because it is, it's a lot. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, thankfully, yeah, the premium membership um, got approved and then I'm actually in the process. I have a, just in this location, I have a twice a week, like parent co-op that I do. I wanted to have sort of more morning programming and I'm in the process of getting that covered through regional center for children ages zero to three 
Um, and once again, because I showed up for the last year, like it's moving through the system fairly quickly. Um, it'll still take eons, but like, um, I really believe that those relationships to people in the organizations are everything, you know, like people know me in that organization, even though it's quite large. And so I can show up with like a new offering and, and they're helping me get it through the system a little faster. And is that going to be probably similar for a second location then? You're probably going to be able to get. No. <laughs> no. Um, that's that offering specifically I like in, in my current location and in the next location, I don't think it's a right fit for the um, community. So my main focus is those two memberships. And then I'm actually going to be using extra space and offering it as a rental space for providers in the area. Um, so if you're a speech therapist, occupational therapist, and you want to run social groups, um, I will be renting my space um, nearby the play space as kind of like a secondary stream for myself. Because I did try doing, like you said, all those social groups. Um, and sometimes they were covered and sometimes they weren't. And I don't know, I just, I got tired. And I just love open play. I really love it. And so I just felt like, how can I really niche down and just be like, an open play space and, and the social skills I'm, I'm supporting them in a much different way than like a speech therapist might where there's like a lady with a group in a room or whatever. I'm not really wanting to do that right now. Well, I'm so glad that having these consistent, the consistent membership revenue has allowed you to have this space. Oh, yeah. Because as we were kind of talking about, you know, relying on open play alone it's tough when you don't have that consistent monthly revenue. And it's something that I never, ever recommend. So I'm so happy that mm -hmm. you've been able to find out what you love doing for your business, define your own version of success, try different things, yeah. see what works, see what didn't work, and then really live out your vision without having to worry about, you know, yes. how many people are going to come through the door today. So that's yep. one of, to me, that's the most, you know, impactful thing that I've heard you say is that you're able to truly have the the business that you envision yeah like during Thanksgiving week I thought it would be super busy and it was pretty dead and it was like that's fine because when you go to look at you know my monthly I use mind body when I look at my sales for both private pay and for regional center they just keep coming in each and every day so it's like it can be quiet that's totally fine I'm here for the community if they need the space but if they don't I'm also still getting paid so that I can be open you know, ongoing. And I like the relief that I feel from that is like immeasurable. <laughs> I try to put it into words, I swear, and I can never come up with it. And you have, you know, way more members than I did just because again, we were a smaller yeah. space and we weren't able to get our memberships covered. So people were coming all the time. So we had to cap. Our uh -huh. But even, you know, even though I had a third of the memberships that you did, it was once that clicked for me and I said, oh, yes. recurring revenue, that's, I mean, I slept better. I, you know, I yes, wasn't yes. doing my hair every day. I didn't feel like I had to post on social media as much anymore. It just took so yep. much pressure off of me as a business owner. And yes. I know I talk about it all the time on this podcast, but I, it's something that you really can't measure. Like you said, until you're yes. there, until you experience one side of the coin and then experience the other it is night and day and it's something that I cannot recommend enough yes so for anyone that is you know really excited about exploring this something that I was curious about that I wanted to ask is 
is it a lot of work every single month? Like, do you have to prove that Mm. everybody came once? Like, is it a lot of maintenance with communicating with the agency? Can you just talk a little bit about what you have to do as a business owner to maintain? Yeah. So legally, the child has to walk in the building. You have to have some sort of touch contact, direct service with them um, in the capacity that you're saying you are once a month to be able to say, yes, they were here and I'm going to bill for this. The system, of course, uh, in the back end uh, for organizations like this are very old school and very simplistic and super hard to use, of course. Yes. So like for 250 kids, I have to each month um, go through that system. And yes, I'm actually now looking into who on my staff can do this for me (laughs) because yes, it takes a couple hours each month of my time. I will say it is an exciting moment because I'm like, wow, look at all this money. (laughs) Um, But the amount of hours that it takes me is annoying. And I can imagine like some therapies um, clinics, for example, if they work with insurance, they have a billing person. So I'm envisioning at some point when I have multiple centers, I will need a billing person to do this stuff accurately. Um, So yeah, it's a great question because it is kind of a, a backend job that I would like to outsource at some point. But for right now, I'm holding it close because it's so much of my revenue that I'm nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, I mean, a couple hours of frustrating work for, you know, just doing the math, $119 times 250 <laughs> feels worth it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Plus there's the, I have another 30 families who are doing the 295 a month. Many of those are also through the regional center. So yeah, it, it adds up to a considerable amount. Um, you know, cash flow. My accountant doesn't love it because I get all of it in a lump sum in the middle of the month. But um, it's like um, I'm looking at one more state organization um, through Medi-Cal, which is specific to California. But um, it's another. There's just so much focus right now in the nationally, especially with the um, um, the federal. Uh, Surgeon General, talking about sort of this loneliness epidemic. So there's this big focus right now on preventative care for uh, families with children under the age of five. So there is a lot of money right now, I think through grants, nonprofits, different organizations like like Medi-Cal or regional centers, where there is a big focus on how can we bring the community together? And we've literally created the, the physical space for that. So I feel like um, there's lots of different avenues to look into getting a membership covered um, where you're saying, look, I'm, I'm supporting, you know, bringing people together. I'm supporting, you know, kids with disabilities in developing skills in parents connecting to each other and sharing resources. Um, I'm supporting, you know, parental well-being and, and stress levels. So you can really, um, I feel like we often, people look at us and go, oh, you're, just a play space, but like we're doing a service to the community that I feel like if you can, um, you know, write it up in such a way, you can prove like the the really intentional, impactful way you're serving your community that they should like the state, the county, whoever it is should be like, yes, we will give you money to support our community. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the revenue, but the impact is just as important, if not more important. And just Absolutely. to clarify, you're a for-profit business, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm an um, a lot of people, LLC. Something that I noticed in the Playmaker Society group when we were talking about this is a lot of people 
when you were kind of describing what you were able to do to achieve this, a lot of people just assume that you were a nonprofit. So I think it's really important just to remind people that you are a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. We're still able to access this funding. And you're so right about the grant money and the state and federal money being readily available for this. And that's one of the reasons I've been talking about nonprofit businesses so much is because Mm -hmm. I'm seeing grants left and right, but most of them are only available for nonprofits. So I love that this is an option for for for-profit businesses to still tap into those resources and benefit their community. Yes, I agree. Just curious, would you ever be open to, or would you be allowed to work with other similar agencies or are you kind of focused on working specifically with them? So what's cool is um, I got covered through one specific regional center and then another one reached out to me and was like, oh, we'll, we'll do a shared vendorization. So they are, they, I have a whole nother regional center in other counties that are covering the same location. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm like actively pursuing the, um, the Medi-Cal thing that I mentioned. Um, I don't know of many other systems that I'm excited about joining and I also like I have a right now 135 private pay families so I'm trying to balance um all of the kind of different needs and interests of all of these people so I so I will say the only other stream I've thought of and this would be once I had a few locations would be um a lot of so a lot of tech companies there's a lot of neurodivergent people working for tech companies and they have HR this is me like giving away everything. Um, <laughs> they have HR departments and a lot of them have really good benefits. Um, for example, Google and Meta, if your child has an autism diagnosis, any services you get for them are considered in-network and they will reimburse you. So there are these huge organizations that are wanting to serve you know, their employees. So my thought was once I had a few locations, reaching out to companies like that to be under their, this is, this is less so, this is more like private money, but um, yeah, sort of looking into those as well. Yeah. And what's great about those big companies is that they have employees all over the country. So, you right. know, it could be doable for somebody that even isn't in the, you know, San Francisco area. So, yeah. um, you know, we have a couple big companies by us, like Wegmans is a big one, which is yes. one I used to work for. And they oh. have a huge emphasis on employee benefits and inclusivity. So, that would be, you know, top of mind. I'm sure everybody listening mm-hmm. has a couple big employers yes. in their area that do have a lot of initiatives around disabilities and inclusion. So I'm sure everyone's, you know, wheels are turning right now with their specific areas, but that's a really great point. And that's, you know, something that I'm so excited to see you grow into. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I remember when I first started my father-in-law who's kind of a naysayer was like, you need to join a larger organization. Like there's no way you will survive off private pay. You need to join um, a medical facility or a university, or you need to be tapped into someone larger. Whereas there's just a stream of people coming and going from you through that system. And I was always like, okay, you're old and you're grumpy and I don't care what you have to say, but it's true because like the private pay people, most of them as members do stay quite a while, but there's more, Um, fluctuation with them. Whereas if you're going through a system, because you really, it's this wonderful free service, like you'll tap in, you'll come hang out a little bit and then you'll go and I'm able to still be successful as a business. But also 
I know I have a steady stream of money and people coming because of those relationships with those larger organizations. So he's right. Yeah. And I mean, there are plenty of businesses that survive on, you know, birthday parties combined with memberships and things like that. Yeah. But I got to tell you, it's hard. It's very it like it. hard work. Um, you know, you have to fight for every single birthday party booking for every single, mm. single for every single open play visit. So, you know, while I think it's mm. possible to, you know, exist and be profitable in different ways, it's not easy. It's guess, a lot yeah. of transactions. It's a lot of marketing you have to do. It's, you know, constant communication with your customers. Mm. So I love that this, you know, allows you to be even more profitable and do less work as an owner. Yes. Yes. One question that I wrote down that I wanted to cover quickly before we wrap up. So I know you mentioned that for your second location, you're looking to run it out to providers. So would they be paying privately for that or would that be covered for them through one of these agencies? I, my understanding is it would be private pay. Um, I'm trying to imagine. There's so sort of a. Therapists that take private yes. clients, right? Yes. Yes. And some of them may take insurance, but I don't anticipate they would be able to get this service covered. Um, I've seen this a few times where play spaces partner with local therapy companies and sometimes they're on site and that they share a space together constantly or, um, but I, I really like that idea. Um, but the idea is, yeah, in my area, if you don't want to pay for a brick and mortar, but you want to serve a lot of kids, um, I'm offering a space that you pay privately for, um, and then I have to kind of decide once those kids are in the building, then what does a membership look like? Do they need to have one? Do they not? You know, is it discounted? I'm thinking about all of that, but, um, I, many of, I don't know what, well, so the other thing I'll say is like the medical system in terms of therapy is, um, having a lot of challenges. And so there's a lot of therapists stepping out and doing private practice and doing private pay. And there's a lot of new people post COVID who are serving children on their own and they probably don't have a physical space and they're brand new and you being a community hub, it's kind of a win-win to connect with them. They can use your space for therapy. Um, they can, it can be kind of like a mutually exclusive relationship where you can both refer for each other. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited to see that come to fruition for you. So Thank you. just to kind of wrap this up, what advice would you have for somebody that is considering embarking on this? So they heard everything you have to mm. say and they're, you know, thinking about taking that next step. Do you have one piece mm -hmm. of advice for them? I would say first be in the building, look at the people in the building and make sure you're actually able to have capacity for the kids that are going to come, <laughs> whether that's being wheelchair accessible, understanding autism, uh, whatever the, the, the community is. And then my feeling is, even though these are large organizations, I feel like it's all about the relationships with the people. So it's like the relationships to the special needs community in your area, the relationships to the people that work for that organization. I feel like I've had success because I network like crazy. I put myself out there and I show how much I love and care for Spirited Play Labs. And um, I think that that has been the thing that has gotten me so much success in working with these large organizations because I'm not just a nameless face saying, yes, I'm going to serve your kids. Like they know me and they um, feel like, okay, we'll help you work through this very arduous, painful process of getting approved because we know you and you seem okay. 
And I love that you mentioned it was such a grassroots effort. So you were already attracting these people. They were coming to your space. They were private paid clients and you recognize that. And I love that you asked them, you know, Hey, what agencies do you work with? Because one of the biggest questions that I got as I was preparing for this interview was Mm. how the heck do I even find these organizations? So I love that you looked to your customers that you were already serving And you ask them, Hey, who do you work with? You know, and you listen to the families that you wanted to serve and you found a way to solve one more problem for them. Mm, Thanks. I think that is really inspiring. And I think I love that you brought it back to kind of the most foundational aspect of this, right? In order to tap into this, you do have to be truly inclusive. If you are not, you know, a therapist Mm. or if you aren't trained in this, like, For example, while I have a child that has special needs, I am not trained in it whatsoever. So Mm. if you don't have a background in that, invest in your education, hire an expert or a consultant. But again, I think it's so important to remember that there is foundational work that you have to do. So Mm -hmm. step one, I would say, would do a really deep dive in your business. Hire someone if you need to reach out to a local resource and figure out how you can be more accessible and more inclusive. Because even if you never take step two, that is really going yes. to impact your community for the better. And it's going to allow you to serve more customers, whether or not you end up becoming an approved vendor. So I'm glad that you reminded mm-hmm. us, us of that very important step. Yes. Yeah. I listened to your, um, you did a couple series about serving autistic kids and um, I was just opening then and I listened to them and because as a parent, you probably have way more knowledge, the ins and outs. I mean, it's it's specific to your child, but like you have a lot more, sometimes therapists don't have a lot of knowledge about this. Which well, is- it's funny because that Ooh. series was very logistics based, right? So, you know, if yeah. a child comes in and it's noisy, what do you need to have on hand? Yeah. You know, if a child has a meltdown, what are ways to deescalate it, right? So it's very specific and it's, situations that you only encounter as a parent mm. when you're at these spaces. Oh, yes, yes. You know, therapists, you know, so I could never, you know, it was very difficult for me to help my child use, you know, his AAC device. And it was very difficult right. for me to incorporate social stories. I really had to lean on our therapy team for that. Right. So there's, of course, a huge, you know, need for that. But as a parent, you know, I'm, you know, we're out in the community. We're in, we're in situations that are not in right. a therapy room. That's right. So that's why I really wanted to put that series out there because something that I love about this industry is so many people come to it with with, um, backgrounds in education and teaching and in special needs, but they might not necessarily have that practical real world experience. All of the children that they've served have been in a classroom for 30 years. So that was really important to me because it's something that, like you said, often goes overlooked because If you don't have direct personal experience, it's just not something that, you know, you're going to come across. So thank you so much for, for mentioning that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I loved that. And, um, like, like I, my main focus was autistic kids or kids with language delays. And I actually had people from the disability community that had physical disabilities and approached me and said, actually, your space is not very accessible to us and, and you should fix that. And so, um, I'm not saying when you become inclusive, you should serve everybody. Like it would be a lovely because I did make some modifications, but like in the end, I really wanted to serve, you know, the neurodivergent community. That's who I really thought of when I made this. 
Um, going forward, I am going to try to serve other disability categories um, with the way I set up the space and the equipment that I buy. But like, it's okay if you just decide, I really want to serve the deaf community. I really want to serve the autistic community and keep it small versus like the idea of inclusion probably is very overwhelming. Um, if you just try to be like, I'm going to serve all disabled children, like you will not find, you will not serve everybody, but the ones that you either you really focus on and you really learn about, those are the kids that are really going to benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it just kind of comes back to, you know, I'm so happy that you're able to serve exactly the community that you set out to serve in exactly the way you want to serve them and make a living for yourself. So again, it's so inspiring. Yay, doing it. Yes. So okay, well, like, thank you so much. Yeah, thank so where can we follow you if we want to learn more about your business? Yeah. Um, I love, I still do my own social media. So I'm on Instagram, Spirited Play Labs. I'm on Facebook. And then um, our website, spiritedplaylabs.com. Um, and I like to still really be involved. So if you message us in any of those spaces, um, it'll be myself or my manager that responds. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will link to all of that as well. So thank you so thank much. You. This was such a, an important and eye-opening conversation. Agreed. Thank you, Michelle. All right. That does it for my conversation with Lindsay. I am so excited to share this with you. I'm so excited, in fact, that I'm literally publishing this episode like hours after we wrapped up the interview because that's how eye-opening and insightful I felt this interview was. So again, if you are in Playmaker Society, please feel free to ask questions. Lindsay has been so kind and generous with her time, and she's offered to, again, answer questions, check out her business in the show notes, or send her a message on social media. And if you are interested in joining Play Cafe Academy or Playmaker Society, you can learn more about those offerings and how to join in the show notes of this episode so that you can join in on the conversation and hear from not just Lindsay, but hundreds of other owners who are finding success in their industry in their own way. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you right back here on Monday.